Hey, this is Adam Davis from Omnigon, formerly of Link 80, and you're listening to the Talking Records Podcast. Talking Records Podcast, Talking Records Podcast, Talking Records Podcast, we talk about our favorite records, Talking Records Podcast, we're so glad you tuned in, thank you all for listening, you showed up to the right place, Chad and his friends, dive deep and analyze the records we have grown to love. We'll tell you how we found the band Then give you a track-by-track Breakdown of all the songs So grab your favorite beverage And pull up a seat Today we'll look at another record In its entirety What's up everyone? My name is Jed and you're listening to a podcast That digs into amazing albums I am absolutely thrilled to be joined today by former Link 80 guitarist and current singer-guitarist for the California ska punk band Omnigon. I am very pleased to welcome Mr. Adam Davis to the show. How's it going, Adam? Thanks for having me on the show. I'm super excited to do this one. I'm super excited to have you, man. I've been listening to your songs for a while now, and it's it's a thrill to, uh, to connect with you. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I've been listening to your podcast for a while, so right back at you. <laughs> Thrilled to have you here today to talk about Link 80 because you told me that before you joined the band, you were a fan of the band. I was. I, um, I'd heard little things about the band here and there. Um, I was playing at the time in a ska punk band um, from Gilroy, California called Flat Planet. I was in that band for a brief period of time. Um, we were on the Misfits of Ska 2 compilation. It was like the second yeah. to last track. Was um, it like Mr. Goodbody or something or yeah, that's, that's the one. Nice. Um, yeah. 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 That, which is funny. Cause it's, that song's not really indicative of the overall vibe of that band. Yeah. Um, that was kind of more of like a, a funny song where the drummer would get up and do the vocals and the, one of the horn players would play drums. Mm-hmm. But so anyways, we had a show booked in San Francisco. Um, it was one of these kind of matinee all day type shows at club Cocodry. And we got to the show and this band was playing called Sick and Wrong, um, which you can probably find their songs on on YouTube or something. They're really disgusting. And <laughs> and they they were they felt like they were I felt like they were older than I am now. Maybe they just had lived hard lives, but it was they were yeah. a creepy, they were a creepy <laughs> band. And then Flat Planet played and I felt like we had a really good reaction. I felt like we played well there was like a circle pit and it was, it was good times. And then link 80 went on right after us. And it was my first Mm -hmm. time ever seeing them. Mm -hmm. And I was completely floored by how good they were. I'd never seen. So back up a little bit. I feel like most of the ska punk that I was uh, seeing as at that age was stuff like a skank and pickle and uh, janitors against the parthide. Mm-hmm. And and it was more kind of, you know, there was punky stuff and there was fast kind of thrashy stuff, but it was all kind of done tongue in cheek and kind of, you know, having fun. And I felt like Link 80 completely did away with all of that. They were mm. they were a hardcore punk band with ska parts. Yeah. And and everything came across like they were having fun, but it all felt very serious. I just remember like thinking that we had had a good crowd reaction during the Flat Planet set and then seeing the set or seeing the reaction that Link 80 got was just mind blowing. There's just kids just throwing themselves off the stage and just the band going crazy. 
it completely like changed my mindset around what ska punk could be. And then at the time, I think I was 19 and all the other guys in, in link 80 ranged from like six, like maybe 15, 16 yeah. to 18. Yeah, they like they were all younger than I was. <laughs> and I was really young at the time, but I was like an old man compared to them. Yeah. So that was how I got into him. And then, um, I think Nick gave me an advanced copy of 17 reasons, uh, like with just a little photocopied cover with some silly image on it. <laughs> and, and I, you know, just was amazed by how good that record sounded and how, yeah. uh, just tough and professional the whole recording sounded. Well, I'm hoping that, uh, as a fan and as a one-time member of the band, you'll be able to some sheds, shed some light on this, on this record for us today. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to, to dig into it. It's, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot because, um, you know, I played on the second record, the struggle continues. Mm-hmm. And I was practicing with the band when they went into the studio to do killing Katie, which is the EP uh-huh. that's in between the two albums. Yeah. Um, so like, I feel like I have a really good perspective on, on what makes the recordings interesting. And there's always the people who always want to argue, Oh, what's your favorite link 80 record. And for me, I feel like it's, it's, it's such a weird argument to even have because the, just the perspective of the band from one album to the other, you have, you have a band who uh, are all super young and, and trying to prove something and who, you know, just have not really done a lot of living, but the living they've done is pretty tough. Mm -hmm. And then, and then the band that you have on, on struggle continues, uh, you know, has been touring nonstop, um, you know, really learning how to navigate the world kind of as, you know, young adults, you've got two totally different vocalists in, in uh, Nick Trainer and Ryan Noble. Yeah. Um, And so like to, to pick one over the other, I don't know that I would, I would really be able to do that personally. I know that, you know, a, somebody who's does isn't as close to it as, as I am uh, definitely could. But uh, for me, I just, I get totally different things from both records. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I love both for, for different reasons. Like I love Nick Trana's delivery. I love the energy. And then for struggle, I just love, and I think I told you this before. I just love those horn lines. <laughs> They're just huge. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I think as we go through the album, we're going to notice is that, um, yeah, the horn section on 17 reasons is not that good. I mean, they, at that point they have two horn members that were gone by the time I saw the band. So from yeah, when I was say, they only one guy made it. Yeah. Only Nagel, only Aaron Nagel made it. He made it, you know, yeah. through, but he's, you know, he's comes from a family where his, his dad is a, a jazz pian- pianist. Uh, he mm-hmm. plays in, in, in the, the Boz Skaggs band and he's played with like Bobby McFerrin. Nice. Um, so he comes from, he comes from like, real serious chops. And then the other two horn players, I think I've only ever met one of them before. I think we stayed at their house on tour maybe. And I think I maybe said, you know, two words to them. Um, <laughs> but by the time I saw the band at club Cocodry, they already had the horn section. That's pretty much on killing Katie. So they had mm-hmm. uh, Jason Lechner and metal Matt on second trumpet. Uh, so they were already starting to evolve, but the horns on 17 reasons are pretty sparse and you can feel Aaron really trying to, to pull the other two horns along and get them yeah. to do something other than just play the guitar part. Right. Um, but he doesn't have a whole lot of, um, he doesn't have a whole lot of success with it. 
All right, man. Well, I'm excited to get into this. But before we do, I just want to talk a little bit about your current projects. These days, you've been fronting the amazing Omnigon, a ska punk band with a rotating lineup of ex-bandmates and close friends. Can you tell us just a little bit about this current project? After the Link 80 reunion in 2016 for the Asian Man Records 20th anniversary, I didn't realize how much I was going to enjoy doing that and how how final it was going to end up feeling. I also just have to say, I, I love Matt Bettinelli, the other guitar player, and we never really got to play that much together. And we get along really well. I love his guitar playing. And I remember looking across the stage during the, the second set that we played and, and looking around the room and seeing all the people that I'd known over the years and feeling like it was a, it was a good ending point. Like I was happy mm-hmm. we were not going to do it again. But I also knew that I've put years into playing this type of music and I enjoy playing this type of music. And the only reason I wasn't doing it was because I felt like it was tied to this band. And, and so I was like, well, can I create my own thing? And, and still relate it back to Link 80 in a way. So I, I hit up Barry, who uh, was our bass player at the end of Link 80. And he also played in a band called Desso with me and most of the other Link 80 guys. And I asked him, you know, hey, do you want to try recording some new songs? And he said, sure. Our singer, Ryan, his younger brother, Reese, is a really amazing drummer. So I hit him up. I got some, some free studio time booked with my friend, Brian, who runs um, Skyland Studios. And we banged out three songs and I, I realized a band can just be an idea. It can, it doesn't have to be the same people grinding it out day in and day out and Mm. doing Mm. it the way that we used to do it. And I have so many friends now that play music or that have played music and do it and can do it in varying degrees that, you know, depending on, on the night or, you know, whatever we're trying to do, I can, I can just piece together the band from all the different members. And so rather than it being like a, traditional band i think of it almost as like a secret society of these <laughs> different members well because and here's the thing too is so the the name the omnigon uh there's this project that happened here in the bay area called the latitude society and it was mm-hmm. a secret it was a fake secret society that that really ended up kind of becoming a real secret society where it was um invite only and you weren't supposed to talk about it you didn't post about it on social media we had all these little adventures and and the inner circle of that project was called the Omnigon. And so we all had special patches with this symbol on it. And I really liked that idea of this like thing that you could only discern who was a part of it through these, these like hidden symbols. I kind of took that away from that project and thought, okay, so an Omnigon with, without the E at the end is just this, idea and it's also a theoretical shape with um an infinite number of sides so i added an e to the end of it so it looks like omni everything gone bye bye and Mm. i thought it was Mm -hmm. you know interesting and i googled it and nothing else came up so i was like great that's my that's gonna be my band name and then i and then i stole the zero off the off the link 80 logo to kind of tie it tie it back to that because you know yeah, I, I noticed that that's cool yeah i wanted to, to reference link 80 because i'm definitely you know taking taking influence from the things that we did but i also want to allow link 80 to be its own thing because for me you know it's 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 really joey and matt and aaron and adam's band like it's not my band as much as i as much time and as investment as i put into it like i wouldn't want to do it without those guys 
So you released No Faith in September of last year from the laid back vibes of Rather Be Alone to the old school hardcore sound of Burn It Down. The album is just a great mix of all these different elements. Um, you mentioned that it's kind of like band by committee. Do you find it stressful to get everybody to learn all these parts? And no, that's easy? that's the best part because since yeah. all of these musicians are, are so such seasoned musicians and also aren't really trying to flex and put their ego into a thing, they're just trying to service the song. That I know that I can I can just put a chord progression in front of Barry or Brent or um, Reed and and say okay go and mm. they're gonna do their best to service the song and to make it something that's interesting. And I, and I just put complete trust in them to know that whatever they make is going to be rad. And I also don't come in to it with a whole lot of preconceived notion of, Oh, it really needs to have this specific thing because I know mm-hmm. what everybody brings to the, to the equation. And, and I have full trust in what they're going to do. No, oh, that's so, really cool. Yeah. So maybe instead of no faith, it's like all faith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the really interesting things about the record, if if anybody is is really paying attention, is there's um there's a few little little nods in there to to the Link eighty stuff. I definitely took a lot of uh influence from from these records, and there's there's little things, little hidden Easter eggs that a couple people have picked up on, but it's it's always f- most of it's in there, kind of for the other guys who are in Link eighty, like. I mean, a few of them played on the record. Steve Borth, um, who lives out in Denmark now, he played he played horns on the record. He played sax on it, and um, Barry, of course. And then I have some stuff that we've recorded in the future that or that that'll get released that's already been recorded. Uh, that Joey Bustos played drums on. It's a family affair. Yeah, I was going to ask what was coming up next. So I, we have an unmanageable amount of songs at this point that we need to figure wow. out how to record and get done. through them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I mean, we just have so, so much that like, I'm like, you know, trying to figure out how, when, when we're able to be together again, get this stuff recorded and get it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, and, you know, maybe we'll probably just whittle down all the different songs that we have and, you know, pick the best ones so that we can really make the next record shine. Let's get into this record. Seventeen Reasons was released in 1997 on Asian Man Records. The record was the first original release for Asian Man Records, as the label's first four releases had been under the name Dill Records. I think that they were actually talking about putting this out as a Dill release originally. And then I think when Mike decided to start Asian Man, this was one of the ones that he took with him. And he did that. He changed the name to kind of like distance himself from Skank and Pick. What was that all about? Do you know? From what my understanding of it was that Mike wanted to take a break from always being on the road. He, so he decided to quit the band. Right. Thinking that they would be like, whoa, 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 let's, let's back up and let's just try to take a break. And then they just went, cool, okay. Yeah. And they, they just continued. And well, he was like, well, I, you know, I, I got to do my own thing now. So I think he, he decided to leave the label also and, and start his mm-hmm. own label, uh, which ultimately ended up being a really good decision. So I talked to Mike and I asked him about signing Link 80. And he basically just said they were just so good. And he said they were just kids playing blistering ska core. Yeah, I mean, I, I think definitely for Mike, a big part of the appeal was um, 
the charisma of Nick Trainer. Like he mm-hmm. was such a powerful front person at a very you hear young that age. a lot. Yeah. It was insane how charismatic that dude was. Mm-hmm. I mean, he anytime you would end up just hanging out or talking to Nick, he would he was one of those special people who would make you feel like you had all of his attention and you were the most important person in the room. And then just so good on stage. What a great voice. Thinking about Nick now as a 43 year old man, you know, and he passed Mm. away when he was 19. I still feel like he's older than me. Like when I think about him now, like I still, Mm. I still feel like he has more like worldly knowledge than, than I do now, which is so weird. Such a presence. Yeah. He's such a presence. The album was recorded the previous year, 96, at Art of Ears in Hayward, California, with Andy Erst and Fantasy Studios in Berkeley, California, with Steve Fontano. Fantasy, of course, is where Green Day recorded Dookie. (laughs) So I went to Fantasy in, I guess it would have been like 2004 or 2005. And they have, you know, plaques up on the walls for all the different like notable releases that they've done. Oh, and awesome. se- there's, there's a plaque up for 17 reasons and, oh, nice. um, and there's, there's one up for Dookie, a whole bunch of other really awesome Bay area stuff was recorded there. I actually have the, the track sheets for the masters for 17 reasons here from art of wow. years. Nothing's listed from the, the fantasy sessions here. But I have mm. I have everything from the the dat, the ADAT tapes for uh, seventeen reasons, and wow. uh, it's really interesting to look at, uh, just because you know it has I think it's mostly Aaron Nagel's handwriting on here. Some of it looks <laughs> like it might be An- Andy Ernst's handwriting, but you know it's just interesting to to look through it and see see how everything's laid out as far as tracks. And so this looks like I actually have the it looks like they there's um maybe the killing Katie stuff on the same reels. And then they did a, they did a a split on um, Dr. Strange records where they did a cover of sick of it all's set it off. That's on here too. Oh, cool. Yeah. I haven't heard that. Uh, You know, I have the masters here for this album. Then up on the shelf, I have the masters for the, uh, the struggle continues album, which also has the Metallica cover that we did for the uh, punk goes metal compilation. Oh my. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) That's cool. So how did you come into possession of all this stuff? How did I? Oh, so I went by Art of Ears a while ago because I think the studio's winding down. Andy's closing up shop and moving. Mm-hmm. He has dat tapes from just 30 or 40, or 30 years, I guess, maybe, of yeah. East Bay punk rock. Um, you know, everybody from AFI to the Groovy Ghoulies to... Rancid, uh, Rancid Screeching Weasel. Yeah, all sorts of different bands recorded there. And so he so just cool. has boxes and boxes of these dat tapes and he's like i don't know how to get hold of most of these people and i don't want to throw this stuff away and i also don't want to have to haul it around with me yeah i was gonna say you don't have the kerplunk uh, tapes do you (laughs) i don't think he had those anymore i think those guys probably took theirs i know that when we recorded struggle continues at his studio he had a gold record for for kerplunk and it was Uh, it was in a frame just like leaning against a wall and mm-hmm. I remember saying something like, why don't you have that hanging up? He's like, when they pay me for the record, I'll hang it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't have a whole lot on just like the making of the record. I just have that, you know, Andy co-produced it. I just have that, uh, you know, the age range was between 16 and eight years, 18 years old, like you already said. But yeah, I don't really have much on. I asked Matt and Joey a little bit about this. They mostly were just like, 
it was insane. And <laughs> they basically alluded to <laughs> just partying the whole time. Yeah. And like they had their friends in the studio. A lot of Joey's friends were kind of like, like little hoodlum kids. I think they had a whole bunch of weed that they needed to dry out to, to sell. And so they had like strung up all this weed around the studio to like dry it out. And then, and then I think, I can't remember if it was Matt or Joey that told me, but I guess they, they dropped acid at one point while they were recording this. Um, they were just getting into all sorts of trouble. I mean, they were just super young, reckless kids. Yeah. Um, I, I know it's to the, uh, the sound of the record, like the, the vibe. <laughs> I mean, it, it definitely does. And I mean, you know, I don't, I don't want to harp too much on, on like the, the drugs and stuff, but I, I definitely yeah. know that the Adam and Joey were, were taking speed when they recorded this. That's why oh a lot of it is so fast. <laughs> I mean, I know that one time, when we were at practice, we were trying to get Joey to play, play one of the parts and he kept messing it up. And we're like, what's your deal, dude? Why can't you play this? And he's like, dude, I was spun out of my mind when I recorded this. Like, yeah. there's no way I'm going to play this as fast as it is on the recording. And we're like, all right, fair enough. Wow. And this record is fast. <laughs> it's really, really fast. I mean, a big part of it is just them being so young and just full right. of energy. Um, Hungry. Yeah. Yeah, and I got I got to really say if you if you go on like YouTube and you listen to the nine song demo that came out two years before this, and you know there's there's even some of the same songs uh, mm-hmm. on this recording, you really got to give give props to Joey. He became he became such a phenomenal drummer. I feel yeah. like a lot of people point to the strength of this recording being being Nick Trana. I I feel like that really discounts what Joey's bringing bring into this because not only is he playing really fast but he's playing really interesting parts a lot of like really lyrical stuff where he's he's kind of putting in fills in interesting spaces when i went and listened back to the album the other day that was the main thing that i noticed was how great joey's drumming is on the whole record so you had mentioned earlier adam how you got into the band and so i just wanted to mention quickly that for me you know i had heard up to the top on the misfits of ska 2 compilation that you mentioned earlier and then Verbal Kint on the Cinema Beer Nuts comp released by Hopeless Records. Um, Turn It Around was on a comp called Hey Brother, Can You Spare Some Ska on Vegas Records. So it just seemed like every comp that I had back then had a Link 80 tune on it. Oh, yeah. It was crazy. When we were when we were on tour, we would constantly have kids come up to us with like a, a you know box of like 12 CDs and be like, hey, yeah. we put you on our comp. Here you go. And then we go, thanks. Ah. And then a lot, there were times when these kids would be like, well, you got to pay us for the box of CDs. And we're like, uh, we're not going to pay you for the box of CDs, dude. You just took our song and put it on. Yeah, you didn't even ask. <laughs> so we were on tons of comps and it was, it was, yeah. I remember it being a little bit frustrating because, you know, by the time I was touring with the band, we had a different vocalist, not Ryan, somebody that was in between. And, mm-hmm. um, and so it was weird because a lot of kids were were hearing 17 Reasons for the first time, getting stoked on it, and then coming and seeing us with this other guy who I don't think was as good, definitely wasn't as good as Nick. I always felt a little a little bad about that. So I was really happy when we finally got Ryan and we got an album uh, with him on it. So mm-hmm. I felt like we had a, a good representation of us. Um, but yeah, with um, Up to the Top on Misses of Ska, uh, it's funny because, you know, a lot of people also, again, back to the the album and, and Nick, you know, being such a big part of it. I think a lot of people forget that there's three vocalists on this record. Um, yeah. Nick yep. does the main vocals, but uh, Adam Pereira and Matt Bettinelli uh, cover a lot 
of vocal ground on this record mm-hmm. and and matt's vocals are amazing matt's matt's the one who mostly sings yeah. on uh up to the top all right man let's tackle these songs all right first track verbal kint he runs the underworld and no one sees his face he's killed a thousand men he's got a million different names he's the baddest motherfucker that i have ever known he works up for what he's got he's got a this was one of the first few Link 80 songs I had heard, and I just I absolutely just love this song. It starts off with this like slow groove, and then the song just totally explodes into this loud, raw, intense mix of ska and punk. I just love that. Yeah, I've always kind of thought of this song as like the Smells Like Teen Spirit of ska punk. Yeah. Because it's <laughs> much like Smells Like Teen Spirit, like Smells Like Teen Spirit is like four chords all the way through. This is like yep. three, three chords all the way through. Yeah. And it's just the same thing over and over again. The horns follow the the guitars, you know, and I I feel like the the big things that push the song forward are that bass line. Joey's drumming, he does a lot of really interesting stuff in the verses on this. And then just Nick's Nick's vocal delivery. And and you know, that's also not to discount Adam Adam P's uh muhahas during the the breakdown part, <laughs> <laughs> which which is always kind of funny to me it's funny in the in, i remember the video that goes with this song where where it's doing the muhahas it just keeps showing images of nick and i remember adam was really bummed on that he was like they just keep yeah. showing nick they just keep oh, showing nick. Yeah. why aren't they showing me that song also yeah. completely uh spoils the whole premise of the usual suspects it does <laughs> um which i have not seen um, all the Link 80 dudes were really into like gangster movies, which was never my forte. Uh, uh-huh. They were really into like gangster movies and like Stand By Me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously Matt, Matt was a big movie buff. You know, now he directs horror movies. Yeah, um, that's amazing. Yeah. And so I remember sitting with my girlfriend at the time watching after I joined the band and watching the usual suspects with her and being all at once, like stoked on how rad the movie was and bummed that I already knew how it ended. Yeah. I was lucky that I saw the movie before I had heard the song, but yeah, it's so funny how they, they dropped the quote in there and everything. So if you haven't seen it, Oh, it (laughs) just blows the whole thing. Um, No spoilers, dudes. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. And then it was always funny because, you know, over the years when we would play the song, (laughs) kids, kids would always want to like get on the mic and do the, do the little oh the quote <laughs> quote <laughs> we you know we mostly would just end up hyping up the crowd right there and be like all right let's go and then go back into the song but when we did it for the 2016 reunion we actually put the sample on like an ipod so that when it got to that part in the song we could like mm. hit play and play that the things that you can sample. do in 2016 <laughs> yeah we, we put that sample in and we also added the sample cool. at the beginning of uh better than shit the you are now about to witness the strength of street. Oh, the new kids. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Next song. Nothing left. The band follow up the lighthearted song about a movie with a personal look at immediate surroundings. Nick sings coming undone. Nothing's done. I watch the world pass while I waste away. Yeah. Definitely more personal song. He writes really great lyrics. And I, I love the, the break in the middle of this song, the too late for your confessions, too late to get it off your chest. Your existence is pathetic. You are, you have nothing left. Uh, and just the way that whole 
groove hits with the the guitars just kind of slamming on top of that that bass part yeah. and kind of the halftime the halftime tempo always one of my favorite songs to play live yeah it's uh, just a ripping punk song <laughs> such such a fun song and this is this is one of the songs that um definitely got a nod on the the omnigon record um if you listen for it there's a a part that's very similar in one of our songs mm-hmm. to to this song yeah, my other note on the song is just a huge horn sound from Aaron, Brian, and Paul just blasting away on this one. <laughs> the cool thing about this band and about these songs is in the time, the five years that, that I played in the band, the horn section got better and better and better. And the eventual horn section of just Steve Borth and Aaron Nagel, I, I'll put it up against any horn section in any ska band. They were mm. with just those two horns, the economy of just those two horns. They covered so much sonic space. They yes. they got so good at, at, at how they would set up their harmonies when they would play. They would just blast really hard. And that's one of the things too, even now when I talk to Steve Borth, you know, he doesn't play a lot of ska punk anymore. He plays a lot of dub and reggae. Like if you talk to him about playing ska punk, he's like, oh, you got to blast. You can't, yeah. <laughs> you can't hold back. You got to go full, full in. Got to go big. Um, so this song in particular, I feel like as the band evolved and as the horn section got better, that horn part uh, was more and more realized live where they would mm-hmm. just really space it out properly. Uh, so they're not just all playing on top of each other and cover that ground and really take people's heads off with that horn part. All right. Next song, Enough. I love this song. I love the opening line. This is not a phase. This won't be outgrown. We've got things to say. I am not alone. <laughs> yeah. I, one of my favorite things about this song is that it starts out with this kind of really slow, uh, upstroke bit on the guitar. Yeah. And, and then, too. and then the band comes in, comes in behind it and it still stays pretty slow. And then after that first vocal bit hits the whole song, like, shoots up tempo wise and just really takes off from there um it's like disorientingly fast <laughs> un- unrelentingly fast and then yeah. uh but they slow it down for the trumpet solo yeah then there's the little trumpet solo and the little turnaround back into the song and then just a you know i one of my i think probably my favorite thing the first time i saw link 80 and and you know even after joining the band was just like the gang vocal aspect of it like yeah. always having, always having these like simple things where you could stick the microphone out into the audience and, and everybody could shout along and get on the mic, really unify the crowd and make everybody feel like they were part of this thing. Um, this song did a really good job of that with that. Think I had enough and going on to the next part, always a good, a good crowd pleaser. So much of, of what made Link 80 interesting was that they, they leaned so much heavily, more heavily on, on like the whole hardcore youth crew type vibe than us mm. being a ska band. You know, I feel like a lot of ska core bands will do ska and punk with a hardcore breakdown. Whereas link 80 will do a hardcore song with a ska breakdown. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like the reverse. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> it's I just rip in hardcore song with like a, like a quick ska part in the middle and then back to <laughs> it's really special. Like it, it gets me so excited every time. All right, let's look at Pretty Girls. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
thought she was cute until she pulled a gun on me. <laughs> this song makes no sense to me. I, it's funny, I feel like I feel like the any other band playing this song without Nick at the front being yeah. being so charismatic <laughs> and cute. This song, I think, would would not do well. He has the right amount of swagger. It comes off as, as like somewhere between bombshell by, uh, op Ivy mm-hmm. and like, she's automatic by rancid. Like, yep. um, d- always a crowd pleaser. I always felt super goofy playing this song in, in the band without, <laughs> without Nick though. It yeah. just f- kind of fell flat, but it was one just that people annoyed. would constantly ask for. Well, it's a funny song, and I, I think it also works because track one is about a movie, track two is about feelings, then you've got the rant against ageism, and then you have this song. So what what you have is just a bunch of like really diverse songs. So, I mean, it would be totally out of place if it was like a really political record, then all of a sudden you had Pretty Girls. Right. But because there's so much diversity, uh, not only lyric-wise, but also like the music, like you were just saying, between the hardcore parts and the ska parts and the... Yeah, and I, I feel like this one had one of the the better horn lines. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of constant through the entire song, which I think is a little exhausting for the horn section. Um, and then there's also, like I was talking about before with Matt's guitar playing, there's this little thing that happens after the hits on every, uh, at the beginning of every verse, like this little riff mm-hmm. where yeah. when I asked him about it, I was like, what are you doing there? He's like, I don't know. This is like, this is like literally just like part of the chord that like, it's just the way his hands hit that chord creates this cool little arpeggio. And I remember like sitting there with the guitar trying to like work out like how you would actually play it. And for him, it's just like, Oh, no big deal. I think it was just lazily resting (laughs) over those strings. That's that's just the way my fingers hit the guitar. Whatever. Not a big whoop. All right. Next song, Jeff Acri. So this is a cover, right? Of a teenage fuck up by a rap patrol. Yes. Um, do you know who Jeff Acri is? Wasn't he like the original singer? He is. He was the original singer for, for link 80. He's on the nine song demo. Yeah. Um, that's what I thought. So he was, I think they called themselves Mr. Slave unit for a little bit, maybe something else. So Jeff Acri, he's, I've met him before. He's totally nice that guy. Uh, but he was the original vocalist in Link 80. And when Nick joined, his first job in the band was to call Jeff and fire him. Oh, <laughs> no way. He had, to, he had to call him and be like, yeah, I'm the singer in this band now. You're out. I was, wow. I was always been so blown away by that. By That's that. your it's initiation, so kid. brutal. Yeah, it's like, it's like, okay, you're getting jumped into the gang now. Like wow. you had to, you had to kick the other guy out. This song always struck me as really funny because Jeff would straight up be at shows and Nick would, (laughs) Nick would sing this song straight to his face. Oh my God. And, and Jeff was totally cool about it (laughs) because I mean, I guess all the stuff that's in the song is like, you know, hothead young kid stuff that, that Jeff actually did. He fucked his truck up. Yeah. Um, Crashes his truck, does a lot of drugs. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I, and you know, now he's like, a, he's an adult now and he's, you know, he's got his life together, but he's just a bad kid for a That's while. Funny. I don't think anybody really understands what's happening, but everybody loves yelling, fucked his truck up. Like that's <laughs> such a good sing along part for no good reason. And the song just blasts so fast. 
always a fun one to play. I'm pretty sure we played it at the at the reunion and it was a blast. Um, there's a interesting thing that the band would do at the during the intro of the song where we would do this kind of like walk down on the chords. I could never get it right. We eventually mm. canned it, but it was like this like dun 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 dun. I had, it was a thing that they'd worked out with Matt. So then when I started playing it on guitar, I was like, can we just come in straight on the song? This? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Yeah. That's funny. So do you know the story behind, you know, how they came up with, or why they covered this song? I mean, I've never heard the original, so I'm not really sure what the. Mm. It's hard to find. It's on like a cassette tape compilation called Lest We Forget. Yeah. So I'm guessing it's just. I know that they were they were already playing Teenage Fuck Up live because you, there's recordings of Link 80 playing that at Gilman on YouTube. Yeah. And so I think they just were probably goofing around and were like, wouldn't it be funny if we just changed it to Jeff Akery fucked his truck up? Because that totally <laughs> just sounds like something that those those dudes would do. Yeah. They were all just kind of like jokey, but kind of mean. Yeah. And just doing doing weird stuff like that. I could see just that guys totally ribbing being on each other. in their wheelhouse of like humor. Like, yeah, let's yeah. just let's cap on jeff that's funny whoever you you talk to there's either two singers in link 80 or mm. there were three singers in link 80 or there were four singers in link 80 you know all in there were 19 people in and out of this band yeah wow um, over the years and you know a large chunk of that was was horn players um and joey bustos is the only one all the way through beginning yeah. to end drumming the He's whole the way one. through that's amazing made, made it all the way through wow <laughs> played with a lot of guys oh yeah alright let's take a look at Screwed if you listen to there's a video up of the last Link 80 show with Nick at, uh, the Globe in Milwaukee and he mm. actually sings a completely different last verse to this song, which I remember seeing him do a few times. I know that this song is about some sort of relationship. I'm not sure exactly who the relationship is about. And I think the version of this that's recorded on maybe the Dr. Strange split, I think maybe that has the alternate lyrics on it. Okay. My, my favorite part of the song is just that intro, just those two chords together that ding and then dropping down to the E. And then all the stuff that Joey is doing in between there. Mm -hmm. And then he would always, (laughs) as the song went on, when we would hit that final chord before the bass line would come in, he would always drag out that drum fill part. Yeah. (laughs) And we we would all have to just wait on him to like be done. Yeah. There's so much stuff that I'm, I'm sure, you know, any band can speak to this, but there was so much stuff that we would do on stage just to amuse ourselves, especially oh, like after, in, you know, once we were like two months into a tour. Oh yeah. You got it. There were so many little things that we would do on stage <laughs> that were literally just for us. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It's also got a cool bridge. I like the uh, bridge section where the horns are kind of like weaving around the vocals. It's mm-hmm. a cool part in this song. Yeah. This is definitely one, one of my favorite ones that there's, you know, definitely songs that stick out on this album as like, ones that that uh i always really enjoyed either mm-hmm. playing or or when i was just seeing the band seeing them play and this yeah. is definitely one of them 
All right, termination. They have government, you know what? To take us over, they talk to them. You know the government, the aliens are here. So this is uh, Adam. This he takes the lead vocal on this one, right? Yeah, this song rules. This is so a great much. It's, song. I mean, it's so fast. <laughs> I mean, Adam's was definitely like one of the harder guys in the band to get along with. Um, <laughs> that said, I love his voice. I think yeah. his his voice is so cool, so heavy sounding, mm-hmm. and and I love his bass playing. And this is one of the one of his songs that he wrote. That's about you. I guess Terminators. I guess like the, this, you know, <laughs> you know, shadow government, global problems, aliens, and you know, yeah. killer robots. <laughs> Definitely a, a departure from from all the other kind of stuff. And then you know, but you've got. You know, this is definitely the song that Adam wrote, but everybody gets a vocal spot in this one. Adam starts out the song and then Matt jumps in and then Nick does a part. And I just, I love playing the hits in the song. There's one of the ones where you had to make sure everybody was playing super tight. Me trying to sing Matt's vocal part was always really <laughs> funny to me because <laughs> stepping over, stepping over, time, time again. Like he does it in such like a cram so many words into one little yeah. part it just ends up being just a mush of just like blood and bones and stepping over and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I mean, when you're blasting at full volume, it's, it's a lot easier to do, but when just sitting here thinking about it, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck he's saying. Yeah. I was impressed by people that can like play a guitar and like sing that fast and get all the, get all the words in. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely, you know, with the, we, so Omnigon's only played four shows and of those four shows, I've played two where I just sang. And had somebody else play guitar. And then I played two where I played guitar and sang. I'd rather just jump around with a microphone and and sing. (laughs) Playing guitar and singing for the entire set is exhausting. Yeah. All right, turn it around. So now we have Matt. So Matt takes the lead vocal on this kind of like organ driven song. I like this one. Yeah. So the organ part, that's, that's Aaron Nagel. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he played on this. Um, and I think it's, you know, I think I, I told him at one point that I thought his organ playing was really good. And he's like, I think he was like, I'm not really doing anything. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not like, I think, and I think a big part of that is that his, you know, his dad's a total ripper mm. and, I think what he was doing, he saw as kind of rudimentary. Um, Just chords, yeah. Yeah, but I, it definitely adds something to the song. Oh, it definitely um, does. I love it. It's great. Everyone shouts, turn around, tomorrow's killed by yesterday, intimidation, replacing unity, blank generation, community. More factories are going up. More people are falling down. It's up to us to turn it around. Yeah, that, that to me sounds more like kind of the um, – disillusionment in the scene, the scene that's supposed to be, you know, all about unity. And, and, uh, Mm. that was the thing too, is like, I feel like people always talk about like, Oh, it was better back in the day. I don't feel like it was better back in the day. Mm. Like my first couple of times going to link 80 shows, it just felt like it was like, there are a lot of fights. People were, (laughs) there's a lot of people mean mugging. I got beat up at a link 80 show once. Really? Like, yeah. So one of the other times I went to club Cocodry to see link 80 play, they played set it off. This is when Nick was still the singer and they brought up Mikey from the band called the hoods and he was doing vocals with them and he staged over on me. And I like, I, I hit him and he swung around and fucking 
punched me in the head with the microphone, oh right, right in the face and opened up my eyebrow. And then wow. he started trying to take it, take apart one of the mic stands to like beat me to, to come death back after you. <laughs> yeah. He was going to, he was going to kill me. And then somebody in the audience just cold cocked me in the side of the head. And I was like, I, I got to run out of this venue or I'm going to get killed. Wow. And so I, I ran down the hill and I got about two blocks away and I looked back up the hill and I could just see a hundred kids pouring out of the club after me. Jeez. Terrifying. <laughs> and so I, I start running. I'm about three blocks away now. I try to run into an office building. The door's locked. And somehow Nick had gotten out ahead of all these people and was the, at the lead of the pack running after me. And he's just laughing his ass off at me. Oh he God. thought it was the funniest fucking thing. He's, he's like, he checks out my eyebrow. He's like, all right, you're good. You don't need stitches or anything. He's like, I'm going to go up and make sure this is all cool. So he goes up and finishes the show, gets everybody back inside. I gather my friend who came to the show with me and we leave and, and everything ended up being cool. But then like, I hadn't yet even, that was the show where I kind of connected with the band to talk about like getting together to practice, mm. to start learning the songs. And when I showed up to practice, half the band was mean mugging me because oh. I'd gotten a fight with one of their oh, friends at their show. Yeah. It was all bad. Oh man. So I had to, I had to make amends to that. And then years later, uh, when we did the Nick Traina Memorial show, the hoods played that show. And mm. so we were at Slim's and I was backstage with Mikey hood and, uh, I apologize, for hit, I apologize for hitting him and he apologized oh, for hitting me. Uh, <laughs> he, he really didn't have to accept my apology. He could have been like, oh yeah. And just decided to launch back in on me. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, as much of a, a you know, hothead as, as Mikey's Mikey is, he's always been really cool to me. I lived in Sacramento for a while and I'd, I'd go to his little venue, uh, West coast worldwide where all the big hardcore bands would come through and play. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm glad, I'm glad he did not kill me. Because <laughs> he yeah. very well was trying to. That was almost. Uh, it was almost the end. Oh, dude! Uh, just be, seeing a guy just yelling from the stage without he had no microphone at this point. Just I could just see his mouth going. Oh, I'm gonna fucking kill you! And he's trying to take. <laughs> he's trying. He's trying to take the bass off the mic stand so that he can just whip my ass with this with like <laughs> this length of pipe. Wow! I was terrified. That's insane. so scary. Still joined the band. Yeah, definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely have a death wish. I went back the next <laughs> night. Yeah, that's crazy. Yep. <laughs> All right, uh, let's take a look at what can I do. So this is the song that starts off with the audio lifted from like, what is this like a new kids on the block concert or something? Yeah. It sounds like it's from like a new kids on the block concert. Say we don't just sing. We also play our own instruments. Yeah. I don't so know. Funny. I don't know why they decided to put that in. That was one of the funny things to me about link 80 was I feel like during this time period, a lot of ska punk bands put samples into their music. Link 80 seemed to pick like kind of less goofy ones, like kind of mm. more gritty ones. But this was definitely one of the more like kind of goofy ones. So funny. It took me forever to figure out what it was. And then I finally, you know, through the the wonders of the internet. Like when I was a teenager, I for years had no idea what it was. But Oh, I, anyway, I recognized it instantly. You I was did? like, Oh, that's absolutely <laughs> the new kids on the block. And especially because he goes, Because we're gonna play a little new kid groove. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess I should and have I was picked like, up I was on like, that. Oh, okay. Got um, the Boston accent. <laughs> yeah. 
feels like I'm the only one that does what I'm asked. No matter how hard I try, I still come in last. People mm-hmm. always try to tell me where I should go. Suit and tie, ball and chain, I just don't know. Like those lyrics coming from a 17-year-old or 18-year-old, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those resonate with me now. This idea of people trying to tell you what to do and that you have to fit into this norm. Just the fact that he could see that from from way back then is really, really something to me. Yeah, that's crazy. It's just about making your own choices and being your own person. And to have that sort of inward reflection at that age is pretty, pretty awesome. Pretty amazing. Yeah. So then there's, there's the gang vocals on this one. There's Nick just singing the, what can I do? And then you've got this, Hey, Hey, underneath it, yeah, which is not just the band. They had a group of friends from Richmond, Stu Jared and another dude, Rich, <laughs> But there were all these friends of, of Adam and Joey's that were just hanging around the studio. And they, they came down and did Struggle Continues also. But oh, something really? about those guys, just um, they're all just dads now. But at the time, they were just kind of <laughs> like like thug, thug kids. And they were all like real good spirited, but they were definitely the type of dudes that, you know, would were down to fight all the time. Yeah. Wow. And um, they were also one of them. We were at practice in, at a uh, Soundwave Studios in Oakland, and uh, we were setting up. And I look across the room at this one dude, and he's he's stretching, and I see his shirt kind of lift up, and I can see a handgun in his oh my belt. God. <laughs> and I'm like, I, and he sees my eyes bug out of my head because I've never seen a handgun before in real life, right. like it's tucked into somebody's pants. He catches me looking at it. He goes, he goes, it's not loaded. <laughs> he's, like, he's, like the clip, he's like the clips in my pocket and i was oh like God. jesus christ wow so those all the like all the real, like real really quick. big really big gang vocals on this record i feel like you gotta really uh give it up to those those friends of uh adam and joey those those guys all of them kind of had like deeper heavier sounding voices and just having that variety of of voices and having like extra people in the studio to gather around a microphone so mm-hmm. it's not just the same voice uh doubled and tripled the same tones yeah it 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 gives it a really organic uh awesome kind of youth crew feel to all those big vocals all right i want to get into this next song up to the top This is where it started for me. I mean, hearing this song on the Misfits of Scott comp and just loving the energy and intensity of this music. I mean, at that young age, when I got that CD, I didn't really know anything about Scott or punk or the history, you know, the characteristics. I just knew that when I put this on, I just wanted to jump up and down. You know, it was music that affected my my being, you know? Yeah. And I feel like this one, as far as, as far as like ska goes, it lands in a really interesting spot where it's, it doesn't feel like a typical ska song. It kind of sits mm. in its own, its own little space. It's not just like flicky, flicky upstrokes the whole time through. Right. Like it's, <laughs> it's a lot more musical. And then it also still has the element of the, of the big hardcore sing-along, but it yeah. never goes like full hardcore. Like it's, it stays pretty, pretty well ska the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Pride doesn't mean shit when your back's against the wall. Not going to give up no <laughs> matter what you say. I know that life is tough. I'm reminded of it every day. <laughs> yeah. Pick myself up and start again. Which song has, it's an endless cycle and it's never going to end. That's this one. 
Yeah. This one. Okay. Yeah. So let me talk about that lyric really quick. All right. It's an endless cycle and it's never going to end. This is the song, the lyric that the band would constantly point to as being the worst lyric yeah. <laughs> on any of the records. Oh no! It's an endless cycle and it's never going to end. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> if it's an endless cycle, obviously it's never going to end. That was always just pointed to as one of those just like, Ooh, moments That's of funny. just like, you know, definitely nobody's, nobody's infallible. Everybody's going to end up saying, saying something ridiculous. No one's tattooing um, that on their arm or chest. Oh, I wonder if anybody has a tattoo. That. <laughs> that would be good. That was one of the things that was always interesting to me about Link 80s. Um, since we had the whole against the rest crew concept, lot, mm-hmm. there were lots of people who had Link 80 tattoos. And there's still people mm-hmm. who get Link 80 tattoos now. Wow. And um, I mean, I have a Link 80 tattoo. I have an against the rest tattoo, but I was in the band. So yeah. it's a little bit less weird for me. But, um, you know, I see people all the time. There's uh, this one kid who runs a skate shop. Um and we have great video footage of him. He's like, he's like really short little guy. And he tells us his name and he was like 18. And he turns around, pulls up the back of his shirt and he just has against the rest in huge letters across his shoulders with like really? flames. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's really, it was really cool and touching to see all these kids, see how much this band resonated with people that they got. Yeah. I mean, know, it must be cool to see how you've affected people. You know, it's like, yeah. And, and to want to drill that into your skin per permanently is always right. interesting to me. <laughs> The one thing that, that I've always worried about though, and I've only really ever seen it um, on like people's websites or stuff, but like people will like write down a link 80 lyric in quotations and then they'll put Nick Traina behind it. And I'm mm. like, mm, that's actually Matt. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. All right. Next song is Dime Store Hoods. This is definitely my favorite song on the album. Yeah. Okay. Why is uh, this your favorite? Uh, just everything about it. I love, I love the little intro. I love the, the, just the way the chord progression flips around for the, for the verses, the big sing along of just dime store hoods and the way that Joey accentuates it with the, the snare hits every time around. Yeah. And then I love that on the album, it has the breakdown. Yeah. Where the breakdown is uh, amazing. It it heavily references Earth Crisis Firestorm with the street yeah. by street, block by block, <laughs> taking it all back. And then it ventures off from there. But J- Adam's weird little bass line, that very minor key, ding, da, ding, ding. Like that's like the, the ringing of the bells. Like it, it sets you up mm. to know that, that shit's about to go down that and the people coming, are about yeah. to start hardcore dancing <laughs> and that it's about to get really, really gnarly wherever this is getting played. I remember a few times seeing, seeing the band from the audience and seeing them play this and uh, they would bring up like friends to like rap over the, over the, mm-hmm. the breakdown and they'd stretch out the breakdown and turn it into like a freestyle competition. Basically. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, it was cool. But when you're expecting that breakdown, it's a little bit of a bummer Yeah, because you want to like mosh and go Come crazy on, bring earth crisis. Yeah. And then, and then somebody's like up there flowing instead. Yeah. Which was cool, but I'm definitely glad like the version that's on the, um, the seven inch 
uh, it just has a sample of uh, Stand By Me, um, the scene where they have the, the face off with the cheap dime store hoods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, is it Kiefer Sutherland? Kiefer Sutherland, yeah. He's, He's greasy he says, hair and he says, switchblade. He says, what are you going to do? Shoot, all, shoot us all? And the kid says, yeah. no just you just you <laughs> and I feel, I feel like that's i feel like that's so like link 80 mentality right there just this like yeah you know all i gotta do is take out the main guy right like total like mentality yeah yeah since i was in the band there was never a time that we played a set where we didn't play this song nice. it was always a mainstay and then as the band progressed the breakdown got weirder and weirder and weirder <laughs> where we would, we, you know, cause we were bored and we would just keep adding stuff to it. Yeah. A little, Let's little musical elements to keep it interesting to us. Mm-hmm. Like we would do a thing eventually where everybody would be screaming the vocal for it. And we would do this like big hit. And then everybody would like, like drop out for the block by block, like the last block. So it would just be vocals street by street, block by block. And you just get that with no music. And then everybody would hit again for taking it all back and then come back out. And then there'd be a build dime store hoods, and it would build up right there. And then it would go to halftime. Mm-hmm. And, and <laughs> all of that exposition would just make when we finally hit the halftime, like hit that much harder. Oh man, Where, yeah, a lot of build up. Oh, it was always kind of funny to me to see, you know, the stand, the regular ska kids who were just there to like see Edna's goldfish or whoever yeah. else we were playing with. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, the next track is Slap. Bassist Adam is back on vocals on this song. Again, it's just an intense blast of hardcore punk. These songs are just great. I, I love these ones. Um, yeah, this this was one I never got to play a lot. I, I finally got to play it at the 2016 reunion. It's so fun to play. It's so fast. So one of the things I also wanted to talk about with the way these songs were written with Adam and Matt, they would call each other on the phone. They'd be sitting there you know, with the, with their guitars up to the phone saying like, what do you think of this riff? What do you think of this riff? <laughs> Making things up. And and that was how they would write stuff so that when they came to practice, they'd be ready, like have ideas and, and be ready yeah. to go. And fine. one of the ideas they came up with for writing songs was um, they would like take like the phone list of like their friends' phone numbers that are like written on a piece of paper there next to their phone. Cause this, mm-hmm. you know, you got to remember this is pre cell phone. This is like how, yeah. house phones. Right. And so they, they'd look at the phone numbers and be like, okay, well, what if I, I use these numbers as like fret numbers? Oh my God. <laughs> really? And, and so, yeah. Yeah. So, so there's, there's riffs and I'm pretty sure this is one of those songs where they, they would be like, you know, five, one, Oh, three, four, five, like, you know, whatever it is where it would create a pattern and then they'd be like, Oh, this sounds pretty sick. And then they would turn that into a song. That's amazing. I've never heard anything like that. That's crazy. <laughs> Here it is. This is another one where where I'm pretty sure people, you know, look at the lyrics to it, you know, put them put them on a thing and then try to attribute it to Nick and it's it's not. It's Adam. More's been said in silence than could ever be spoken in words. It's a good line. Yeah. And I'm I'm and maybe that part is probably Nick. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that when I was a child, my castle was my home. Now I walk these empty streets, memories of me alone. Mm. That's all got to be Adam. That's Adam, yeah. That, that sounds so much like him. It's cool like, that everybody that, was so involved in the songwriting. Yeah, I mean, I think that was one of the things that um, 
was, you know, a double-edged sword. It was, it was a strength and a, a weakness in the band because, you know, you have all these different cooks in the kitchen. Everybody's bringing their own flavor. And sometimes, you know, you end up with something delicious and sometimes you end up with inedible stew. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it made the songwriting process definitely a little bit harder because, um, mm. you know, if everybody was really feeling uh, opinionated on a specific day, you'd have people shitting on each other's ideas left and right. But, you know, when it worked, it would work. All right, let's take a look at dance floor. So Joey leads us into this one, and then the song comes in. It's a song about going to shows and feeling at home. It's a place, you know, to take out aggression. Yeah, um, I was gonna say without hurting anyone, but it sounds like you got pretty banged up at a few shows. <laughs> yeah, this this. His lyrics are kind of funny. So it starts out with, with Matt singing dance, dance floor, my home away from home music yeah. starts. Then I don't feel so alone. And then, uh, Nick comes in so much violence. I don't hurt anyone. I go to the show and I dance and have fun, but then it comes in with the found it bit, the, mm-hmm. the gang vocal again, you know, anytime you shove the microphone in the audience, you get everybody wanting to yell that found it. Yeah. And then I love, love the breakdown in the song, which is like a straight, like, ska breakdown you know rather than going for the hardcore it goes it goes into just like the super fun dance part (laughs) this was also one of those songs where when we would play it we would like ask for a giant circle pit and usually get one people were happy to oblige i'm sure nick nick always had like such a, a good way to move his body on stage where he always look like he was having a great time and, and dancing mm-hmm. his ass off. And uh, this is definitely one of the ones where when the, the breakdown would come in, he would, he would yell, I want you to skank till you fucking puke. <laughs> <laughs> or, or he would scream, I want you to skank until your asshole bleeds. Oh my God. Like, he would just say these insane, <laughs> hilarious things, which I'm sure were much more to, for like, to try to make the dudes in the band laugh than for yeah. anything else. I, uh, but I absolutely know that during an Omnigon show, I definitely yelled, I want you to skate till you fucking puke nice. when we played it, when we played at Gilman. And I definitely thought of Nick when I was, when I was doing it. That's cool. And it that came out without, too. without me even thinking of it. So I, I feel like, for it. <laughs> you know, if he's, if he's off in some sort of great beyond, he was channeled through you just like, Hey, say this dumb thing, <laughs> <laughs> say this dumb thing that you're going to regret. <clears throat> He was on your shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was related to the song because I just felt like hanging out at shows with a bunch of people who were all there for the same reason was just always really comforting. You know, it wasn't like school or work or those places where you had to be, you know, and you had to think about fitting in or whatever. In the mid to late nineties, it seemed like there was a show every weekend where I grew up and my frequent co-host on this podcast, uh, this guy, Craig, And I used to go to all these shows and like most of the time we would just go to like hang out. Like it didn't even matter who the bands were, you know, you would just go, you'd hang out, you'd meet people, you'd find out about new bands. And I feel like that just doesn't really, that doesn't really happen anymore. You know, I think it's not now, but still, well, yeah, definitely not right now, but I feel like it does to a degree. Like how, how old are you, Jed? 40. Yeah. You're 40. I'm 43. Mm -hmm. It still happens. We just don't get invited anymore. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's the thing there's still kids out there doing doing exactly what we did and playing yeah. like weird house shows 
And the weird thing is, is like I had a band in my thirties. I mean, I still have this band. We don't play very much, but um, called Narboots, and we played mm-hmm. a lot of like house shows, like that, like high school kids were putting on because yeah. God knows why these kids would ask us to play. And so we would still get to see that these shows are still happening, but mm. how awkward is it to be in your thirties or forties and be at a backyard show with a bunch of like high school kids? You just end up looking like the biggest creep. Yeah. yeah. That was the problem with our band is after a while, you know, we got older and the crowds stayed the same age and we we're, yeah. I, I mean, the cool thing though is specifically, I feel like, like now, like with the, the current crop of ska, ska bands that are happening now, all the kind of bad time records crew, yeah. um, all of us are old enough that, you know, if we want to play a 21 and over show, I don't think it's going to exclude that many kids because I feel mm-hmm. like most of the people who want to see our band, like our bands are over 21 at this point. Yeah. Like there, there aren't a ton of like 16 and 17 year olds that are like really chomping at the bit to, to see, see us play. They've got their own bands that they're excited about and yeah. like coming to see our bands is kind of like, those are old guy bands. All right, man. Let's take a look at looking back. The rain is left, but the puddles still remain. The only one mm-hmm. thing I know is that I'll never be the same again. And then it has that big yell from Adam with the big roll from Joey. Yeah. What a great lead in for a that. song. It's just a straight up punk tune. Um, and it's one there's, there's no horns on this song. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Um, so as far as I understand, half of these songs are from, uh, the period of the band when Jeff was the singer. And then the other half are from when Nick Mm. became the singer. Mm -hmm. And then they all just kind of, this is kind of a compilation of like songs that were written over a, what, two or three year period. This is probably one of the ones that they just had hanging around more from the days when there really weren't as many horn players. I know like there was a period of time where Aaron Nagel was the only horn player, which God bless him. That's, a bad job being the only horn player in the ska band. <laughs> the one guy. Um, but definitely, you know, I one thing that I really appreciate about uh, Link 80 is that it, it didn't always feel like there had to be horns in every single part of every single song, that it could mm-hmm. just be a punk song and it the horns could just take a break for a song. Yeah. Which I, I think is really refreshing rather than trying to uh, shoehorn in horns into like every moment of a song. I think one of the best bits on this song are is Adam Pereira's backup vocals, the little bit up, bit up, bit up, ha 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 that he mm. throws in over the choruses. I want to get into nowhere fast. And so this song is interesting because it appears on this record, but it also appears as the secret track on The Struggle Continues. So what went into the decision to put this on that album? Um, we had been goofing around with how we played it live, ch- kind of doing more of like a, a slow, more like traditional ska beginning to the song. Mm-hmm. And then having the song pause and then go full blast punk rock for the rest of the song since we had a different interesting take on it, we thought it would be fun to throw it on as a, as a hidden track, just to, to have that version uh, recorded. 
And then also on this version, on this album, there's kind of a, a breakdown in the middle that's just kind of noisy with a bunch of, you can hear all the dudes kind of talking and, and saying ridiculous stuff during the kind of like choppy chorus bit. And then, it, and then the horns bring it back in. And then in our version, the horns play like the William Tell overture. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, instead, which was always really funny live. It was, you know, de- another one of those things that just made us laugh. Um, interesting about this song though, not written by us. Really? Oh, I didn't know written, that. Written by Andy Ernst. Well, he gets a guitar playing credit on the song. Yeah. So he, so he actually, wrote oh. he wrote this song. Um, he has a band called Reinfeld mm-hmm. and, uh, he recorded a bunch of songs and the, I think this is one of his songs and, uh, on struggle continues. Tango Nada is also written by him with Tango Nada. We needed another song in the studio. Uh, we were having a hard time writing songs, you know, too many cooks. And uh, mm. <laughs> he just said, Hey, I have this song that I think will fit you guys. He just and he showed us up. the chord progression and we, we just went for it. Oh, that's cool. So we, I didn't we know learned, that. learned it in the studio and recorded it. And the funny thing is, is I, I said this re- recently that this song was written by Andy and Joey texted me. It was like, he's like, Andy didn't write that song. We wrote it. And I straight up pulled up the liner notes for it and took a picture and sent it to Joey. I was like, <laughs> Andy wrote this song. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Just because we played it for like a million years doesn't mean he didn't write it. Let's take a look at Jennifer's Cafe. I let all of this stage say Sooner or later it has to change Fine if you have you to live your life Don't let it tell you any different No one's right This seems like a stream of consciousness piece Nick or, or somebody wrote while maybe sitting in a cafe uh, of the same name. Kind of describes his surroundings, you know, his place in life. He sings, I've been told that nothing stays the same, that sooner or later it has to change. Fight if you have to, to live your life. Don't let him tell you anything, but you know what's right. So this this song is also on the nine song uh, tape from when mm-hmm. Jeff was in the band. Yeah. Um, and this is also my least favorite song on the album. Uh-huh. It's, we've never played it live. It starts out fine enough. It has kind of a rancid feel, kind of like a telling a story, reggae's on the radio, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. The middle part of the song kind of falls apart. Mm-hmm. And then, and then like you hear, you hear the band kind of stop and then <laughs> Joey counts it off and then the band comes back in. Yeah. So there's like all these weird tempo fluctuations in it. Knowing uh, Aaron Nagel, I'm absolutely positive this song drives him crazy. Um, <laughs> he's he's very much a stickler for using a metronome. This is just it. Just seems like this one was included because it was something they had, you know, sitting around from from years before, and they just wanted to have a yeah a finished version of it. And Put I it do feel record. like it's one of the ones that had a more interesting horn part than some of the mm-hmm. other songs on the album, uh, especially with the the intro. Uh, that bum, 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 bum. That bit really feels like a, a bit more of like a, a horn part that was written beyond just following the guitars. Mm-hmm. So that could have been part of the reason. And then on the LP version of the original release of this, uh, this song's not on the album. It's a different song called Those Days, which is a way stronger song. So why'd they make the, uh, why the switch? Um, I think they just wanted to have something different. They wanted to have one mm. song on the vinyl and one song on huh. the CD version. That's cool for collectors. <laughs> um, just to make it make it so a reason for you to pick up both. The, those days is a way better song though. It's uh, 
much more of like a straight ahead punk song with like an interesting ska bit thrown into it. Yeah. Um, I haven't actually listened to the studio recording of it in a while, but I listened to a live version of it recently and it still holds up. It's a, it's a good song. That's funny. I've only ever had the CD, so I, I didn't get the, the vinyl special track. Well, and, and Jad, I got to tell you also, um, Asia man records recently re-released 17 reasons without talking to the band about it. And oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure Mike put the CD order on the vinyl. Oh really? <laughs> so I, it over. I think that, yeah. I, I don't have a copy of the new one and I tried to look it up on the Asian man site before we hopped on here. And I don't even know that you can buy uh, any of our records from Asian man anymore. I'm pretty sure when he re-released it, he just, he used the, the CD order. Hmm. And so uh, only the original pressings of this have have those days on. Oh wow! Everything so wait, is it those days music. song with the Jennifer's Cafe song title, or is it just the CD tracks on the vinyl? I think he just. Uh, I'm not totally sure. I don't know what he used for the because if you if uh, I'll have to show you sometime the um for the layout for the record they straight up just took a piece of paper and covered Jennifer's Cafe and it, and it has those days typed on top of it. Instead. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's like a real, like a punk rock fix to it. That's awesome. All right. Let's take a look at burning down. Something far too perfect is never what it seems. The reality I wanted lives only in my dreams. This is such an awesome punk rock song. It has a great closer. Yeah. It has such a good breakdown the unity they sold to me was an ugly fucking lie. I love the way the music for the breakdown for this one runs where yeah. it drops down uh, and then kind of builds to where the vocal is. And then rather than just going straight back into the fast part, it stays in like the halftime bit with like the mm-hmm. guitars kind of ringing and it has almost like a Fugazi type feel with the doom. Yeah. With the bass and then it kind of rises up again. Yeah, and like the the rim clicks on the snare, which is funny because none of these dudes liked Fugazi. I'm the only <laughs> I'm the only dude in the band who liked Fugazi, and I would try to put it on in the van when we'd be on tour, and they'd be like, "Turn this off." For some reason, when I joined the band, we never played this song very much, which um, or at all, even I think, which is kind of a bummer because it's a it's a great song. It's probably you know top five on the album for me. One of these this song. So I'm looking at the back of the LP right now and yeah. and after burning down there's there's uh something something else written it just says this tape sucks. <laughs> but it's written exactly the same as all the song titles. <laughs> this That's tape funny. sucks. This tape sucks. Well there's a hidden track on here too. Yeah, there is a hidden track. It's a uh, Who, Who Killed, Killed Marilyn, Marilyn by uh, the Misfits. I mean, admittedly, like I'm, I'm not like a big, like old punk rock or punk rock or ska guy, like at the time when this album Mm -hmm. came out. So I didn't, I didn't know what it was when I heard it. I just knew it was this like really fast punk song at the end of the record. And I was, I was super into it. I didn't know it was the Misfits right out the gate though. Another fun fact, the first time I was on tour, my first overnight drive was the first time I heard the specials. I had never heard the specials up until that point, (laughs) which made me feel like a gigantic poser. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do? You know, it's like you grow up, you grew up in oh, Gilroy. You can't get it's it all like, at once. Yeah. It's yeah. Little kid. You, you may as well be growing up on the moon. If you're growing up in Gilroy. That's funny. So looking at the artwork, the cover photo for the record was taken in 1996 at Ann Kong's bleach bottle pig farm in Berkeley, <laughs> California. That is the best I, I name. I didn't know that. Wow. <laughs> it's an awesome photo of Nick, like in midair. So I was actually watching a YouTube video. And according to Mike Park in this video, he's, he's talking about that reissue that you were mentioning a few moments ago. Someone created the layout. Maybe it was Nick, maybe it was Aaron or Matt uh, by basically gluing photographs onto a piece of black construction paper. <laughs> yep. That was how <laughs> it was awesome. done back in the day. Yeah. I, totally I definitely DIY. Uh, the flat planet layout that I did for uh, the the Bay Area ska compilation, I did it on on construction paper. Nice. Um, and it's just cut out photos, same same just style as paste. this, where it's just you know gluing stuff into a onto a piece of paper and and scanning it into a computer. I used to love to make flyers back in the day, just like cut and paste and like pasting over like you know pictures and so far. Oh, I I I still make flyers that way whenever I can. That's awesome. Like That's it, awesome. it gives it such a better aesthetic. And then yeah. the the finished product when you actually have this thing that you've made um with, you know, bits glued together, mm-hmm. it's so much nicer to like hang on to than like a a yeah. JPEG on your computer. Right. You know, yeah, you yeah. actually have this nice little piece of art and you could like put it in a frame or give it to somebody or do something with it mm-hmm. rather than it just being something that sits on a hard drive. Yeah. Definitely. So do you know, do you know uh, what band is playing on the cover of this? What band is playing on the cover? Right. Cause it's a link 80 album, but that's not link 80. Really? Well, I was just going to say, isn't it link 80? <laughs> no, it's not link 80. Okay. It's a uh, sub incision. So Nick jumped up with the band sub incision and uh, was doing vocals for a song. And somebody snapped this picture of Nick in midair where it looks like he's sitting Indian style. Yeah. Yeah. Which, <laughs> which uh it's funny to me because of all the pictures of nick um from this era on stage th- this as the as the i mean it's it's a fine photo but there's so many better ones mm. i always thought it was weird that this is the one that's on the cover and then especially that like you can right behind nick you can see the guitar player for sub incision i think it's the guitar player it might be the bass player that's funny wow i didn't know that but yeah sub incision and then the back cover, we have the the seventeen reasons sign in the mission, yeah. right off a of mission in San Francisco, uh, that got torn down sometime in the last twenty years. It got taken down, but yeah, that used to be a landmark in San Francisco. When you'd be driving around, you would you would see that. So then the other thing I'm looking at on the back of this album, it looks like there was a little bit of Photoshop done on the back of this, mm-hmm. and there's. You can see an S. Someone definitely cut something out in Photoshop and then left like an archived layer behind, I think. Oh. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. Somebody somebody goofed up when they laid this out. But, oh, man. But yeah. Produced by Link80 and Friends. I mean. DIY mistakes. Can't really, can't really say any more than that. It's. Uh, yeah. So the, the original pressing of this record also has a, a liner sheet. Um, my copy doesn't have one. It's a like a picture of Adam from over the shoulder looking out at the audience. Um, mm. and it has like a big against the rest thing on it, and it has like handwritten lyrics all over it. Okay. If you have one of those, lucky you. Definitely, if somebody has a copy and they hear that, take a picture of it and send it to me because yeah, I'd that'd love be cool to see. see. 
I was always kind of sad that the that when when uh, this got reissued by Asian Man Records that there wasn't more push to to talk to the band about um, doing something more with it because I mean we have mm-hmm. the master tapes right here we could have remastered the record there might be interesting stuff on these master tapes that you know outtakes uh, one one thing that I've been really wanting to do but just haven't had time because of the quarantine situation is I want to get these transferred and then I want to take them to a nice studio and spend the day going through them. Um, this one and the struggle continues just so I can see what's on these tapes. I know, especially with struggle, since I was there for the recording, um, I know that there's two songs that nobody's ever heard before. Oh, really? Oh, so man, I'm, I'm, I'd be interested cool to see if there's anything on se- the 17 reasons ones. This would be cool to hear. Yeah. Wow. I know that there was a seven inch that was supposed to come out. I've talked to Matt about this before. There was a seven inch that was supposed to come out around the same time as 17 reasons. Nobody knows where the recordings are anymore. But oh, really? Matt, Matt has the layout for it. He has all the art for it, but oh, there's wow. no, there's no, uh, music. Oh, someone's got to find that. It's all set to so, go. Just yeah. I mean, it's, it's just probably <laughs> sitting somewhere in a storage unit. One day somebody will turn it up. If, if anybody has any leads on that, I know that like, you know, when Nick passed his little apartment was probably full of tons of stuff. That's mm. either sitting in a storage unit storage, or, yeah. you know, I hope so you can find that stuff. stuff. It'd be really nice to know where that stuff is. I, you know, it was mm-hmm. it was always interesting going over to Nick's little apartment because it was over this garage uh, in the suburbs. Um, he lived with uh, his uh, psychologist. None of us knew it was his psychologist at the time, but he lived with her family, and uh, he just had this little loft space, and it was just full of weird stuff because he wasn't really allowed to be given money because he would his mom was afraid he would spend it on drugs, and so he would. Mm-hmm be given like gift certificates and like interesting things. Yeah. So one of the things he had was he had like a bust of Chewbacca. Like, and there were, <laughs> there were only like a hundred of these made. There were these super nice busts of Chewbacca with like real hair. And he had mm. taken all the hair and turned it into Liberty spikes. That's so funny. Like Chewbacca he had this Chewbacca Liberty head spikes. with Liberty spikes. <laughs> and a dog collar. So in closing, it seemed like every ska comp I owned had a Link 80 song on it. From the ones mentioned above to Liberation Records' Ska Sucks comp and Stiff Dog's Punk Goes Ska, they were the band to have because they represented the best of what the emerging third wave ska represented. If the first wave was going to give rise to reggae and the second wave would hold an undercurrent of pop and rock, then the third wave would set itself apart by combining punk and thrash. With super crunchy guitars, huge horn lines, and raw but powerful vocals, Link 80 served as a mold for so many bands to follow. All this and some of its key players were in their mid-teens. This record and early ones by Against All Authority, Less Than Jake, and Falling Sickness all had that supercharged punk with horns sound, and I loved it. Adam, any last words on this record? Uh, Without this record, my life would have been a ton different. It, you know, this, this record set, set a lot of, uh, wheels in motion that, you know, sent me out on the road and sent me out to see the world. I can't, you know, really express how much it really means to me. You know, I, I was so glad to discover it as a fan and then to progress to the point of joining the band and, uh, spending time with these guys creating music. It, uh, it means a lot to me. It's really kind of hard to put into words. Uh, if this album had ex- hadn't existed, I don't know if I would have left my hometown. And I, now I live I live in the East Bay, and and you know, I I have a family here, and uh, I I feel like I have this record to thank for that. That's amazing. 
That's really cool, man. Well, I would like to thank you so much, Adam, for coming on the podcast today to talk about this record, giving us your insights into the band and experiences. This has been a real thrill to chat with you. Dude, this has been so much fun. This podcast is so great. I would highly recommend anybody who has is only listening to this for the first time, go back and listen to Tara from Half Past Two's episode yes. about Save Ferris and listen to Mike Park's episode about the Operation Ivy album. Both incredible listens. So much fun. I'm so excited to listen to more of these. There's such a big archive of songs. Next one I'm listening to is the Jay Navarro Battle Hymns one. Nice. <laughs> That was a fun one, Adam. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for that. I would like to thank Chris DeMakes from Less Than Jake for the theme music. A huge thank goes out to my man Craig for the graphics, the stats, the website, the support. And, of course, thanks to all of you for tuning in to Talking Records. It is a blast to dive into these fantastic records, to chat about the songs, and try to gather all the information we can into one neat little podcast. Definitely check us out on the socials. Say hello. Suggest albums. Tell us your stories. Adam, where can people find you on the net? Instagram, Omnigon, but spelled with zeros instead of O's. So that's zero M-N-I-G-0-N-E. Uh, you can also find us on uh, the Bad Time Records website. Find our new album, No Faith. We just put out a new song. Uh, it's on all the streaming platforms. It's called Swallow Poison. And Great we'll song. definitely have a bunch of, thank you. We'll definitely have a bunch of uh, new music out uh, next year. And there's a ton of new music coming out on Bad Time that is so good. Yes. I, I already heard the next release. It's awesome. So excited. <laughs> a lot of good stuff coming that way. All right, Adam. Thank you so much, man. Take care of yourself. All right. You too. Ding, 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 ding,